do you want to see? That is a question that is that is hung above many a person. Do you want to see? Do you really want to understand what is going on? Do you want to see life as it really is? Or are you happy to simply exist in a in a fantasy, believing what you want to believe? Do you want to see? As John Eldridge writes, Neo takes the pill. Lucy steps through the wardrobe. Aladdin rubs the lamp. Elisha prays that the eyes of his servant would be opened. Peter, James and John follow Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration. And all of them discover that there is far more going on here than meets the eye. First time I saw the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, the uh, first of the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy, I felt that I was seeing something that, that spoke of an eternal truth. And at the moment I'm reading the biography of C.S. Lewis and um, I'm finding it really interesting because C.S. Lewis was this atheist who was a lecturer at Oxford um, University and uh, he was hanging out with this guy J.R.R. Tolkien and who was a Christian and they were talking about the nature of myth and uh, because they're scholars who C.S. Lewis specialised in medieval um, literature and, and, and ancient English literature and uh, there was this whole idea of myth and they, they sat up one night until three or four in the morning talking about the nature of myth and how real myths can actually contain more truth than we realise and C.S. Lewis says that he came to realise that the Christian myth was true and that's it's kind of interesting, not that when I, when I watched Lord of the Rings and as I read the books, not that I ever thought that this was true historically, but rather it spoke of an eternal truth that went beyond mere facts and figures, beyond what I could see or touch, beyond the physical world that I live in. And of course, that's the nature of myth, isn't it? Not specifically, say, a Greek myth, but a story that brings you a sense of the eternal, a story that awakens your heart to the true meaning of things. And this is what C.S. Lewis found, that you couldn't necessarily argue, because he became a famous Christian apologist when he actually became a Christian, you couldn't always argue people into believing something. But through telling a story, you could actually paint a picture that drew them into that. And of course, ultimately, I guess, for Lewis, that was lived out in the, the Narnia Chronicles. Have you ever wondered if just maybe your interpretation events or your understanding of the universe may be just a little off? I mean, it's very hard for us, isn't it, as 21st century human beings, because we, we have so much knowledge at our fingertips. We, we really do. I mean, we have access via the internet to, they say, virtually the sum total of human knowledge. So we can actually start to believe that we have... We've got it all worked out. We've, we know everything that there is to know. I remember some years ago, when we were living down on Mark's Road down there, our, our dishwasher just broke. And, and I'm poking around, trying to work out what's going off, on with it, you know, why it had turned off and all that. And Louise just goes off and jumped on her computer and said, how do I fix my dishwasher? And about five minutes later, she comes back and with this kind of sense of authority says, Murray, it's the inlet float valve. We need to replace it. And she was exactly right. I mean, we really are just so smart. 
I mean, we have all the answers, don't we? Don't we? I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that we have all the answers. Uh, but I can't help feeling that maybe our interpretation of events or our understanding of the universe may be just a little off. I guess it's why human beings keep writing stories or myths. They try to communicate or understand this universal truth that is that things aren't necessarily as they seem. Dorothy wakes up to find herself in a world that's now full of colour, a world of straw men and fairies and lions who speak, and she whispers to her little friend Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Alice falls through the rabbit hole into Wonderland. Neo is awakened from the Matrix to discover that it's not 1999, but 2199, and things are definitely not as they seem. Jacob falls into a dream, or maybe he wakes up from a dream, to discover that there is a ladder resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heavens. The angels of God are climbing up and down the ladder, and Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Get the feeling that it was just the backyard earlier in the evening, and suddenly he's saying, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob and Dorothy and Alice and Neo all discover that things are not as they seem. There's more going on here than meets the eye. There are a lot of words written in here in the Bible, a lot of words that can be summed up with just a few short statements. And Jesus did this when he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Or in other words, it's all about God. It's all about God. That's one of those short little statements that we could use to sum up the message of the scriptures. It's all about God. I don't just mean the scriptures. I mean, obviously, they're all about God. I mean, everything, the whole lot, the whole universe and everything in it, it's all about God. You know, I was reading this last week that universe is Latin for uni means one and verse is a collection of words. Kind of like the bringing together of everything. And I was also reading that, you know, if you break down everything to the very smallest components, you break it right down to atoms. And then if you break apart atoms, you have electrons and protons. And if you break all that down, you get down to the kind of quantum mechanics of things. And you know, the best theory scientists have at the moment is at the very core of everything are little like rubber bands and they're vibrating and this is called string field theory and if you heard have you heard of that large hadron collider that they built in cern it's how big is it Juliana? 27 what is it 17 17 kilometers this tunnel they've built in in switzerland to fire atoms and stuff at each other because they're trying to work out what's actually going at this level but get this Stringfield theory says that the very smallest component of everything, absolutely everything in the universe, is little rubber bands that are just vibrating at a different frequency. And depending on what frequency they vibrate at, depends on what that atom becomes. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning, God said, it's like the whole universe, it's like the scientists, it's not theologians. The th scientists are saying, 
at the root of everything is music. Everything at the core of reality is just vibration. I think it's amazing, isn't it, that John says in the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that has been made was made through Jesus, through the Word. And scientists are now saying, gee, at the beginning of everything is just vibration. It's just sound. Things are not always as they seem. And I would suggest that it's all about God. Another thing, and this is what I want us to think about tonight as we look at chapter 3 of, of James, is that things are not as they seem. This is one of the essential messages of Scripture. That there are actually two parts to our reality. The first part is seen. We can touch it. We can feel it. It seems very real. And it is real. The second part is unseen. We can't touch it. We can't even reach out and touch it. It seems unreal, yet the Bible says that this part of reality is the most real. The Apostle Paul said, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So with that whole kind of backdrop, with a recognition that things are not as they seem, and that the unseen is more real than the seen, I want us to read this passage from the, the book of James. It's James 3, verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Things are not as they seem. It would appear there are lots of places to find wisdom wouldn't it? As I said before, we are, we are so smart. I mean, we can do incredible things. We can take someone's heart out and put it in someone else's body and they'll just keep on living with that other person's heart for years. We can make a so-called ugly person beautiful. Or we can help someone who's infertile conceive and give birth to a child. We really are so clever. I guess the question then is, does wisdom have anything to do with being clever? Does wisdom have anything to do with being smart? You know, I was having dinner some time ago with someone who was very smart. Well, I guess he was because he told me a number of times, I'm a really smart guy. That's what he said. And his job certainly seemed to indicate that he was a pretty smart guy. He designed hearing implants. Yet as we chatted, he revealed that his life was actually full of conflict and disorder. He didn't want it to be that way. It's just how it was. His relationships appeared to be chaotic and full of conflict. He wanted, to, he wanted to resolve the conflict. And he actually said at one point, I should be able to work this out. I should. I should be able to get life and my family and my marriage back together because I'm a really smart guy. I should be able to do this. 
And I guess that there are lots of people who are in exactly that same position. In a lot of ways, as he spoke, I thought to myself, this, this is the post-modern human condition. I should be able to work this out. We should be able to work this out. We should be able to stamp out injustice. We should be able to live comfortable, productive lives. We should be able to ensure that financial depressions and global financial crises simply never occur again. We should be able to make sure that modern airliners don't just disappear or get shot down over the Ukraine. We should be able to work this out because we human beings are really smart. We should be able to stop killing each other. The thing is, we can't. Because the issue isn't how smart we are. The issue is how wise we are. Things are not as they seem. You know, it would seem as though wisdom was directly linked to intelligence. I mean, certainly that's the message that the world sends. How many of us are smart, though? I mean, really smart. I mean, probably not that many. The trouble is, on a global scale, as the rich nations of the West move further and further and further away from the developing nations in our knowledge, it would seem that the rest of humanity was being just left behind and that there was no wisdom in those nations at all. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Wisdom is not connected with intelligence, but rather with morality. Wisdom is not connected with intelligence, but rather with morality. Psalm 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So the first step towards wisdom is to acknowledge that there is a God. But then in Job 28 it says, but where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Then he says, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To shun evil is understanding. So wisdom, true wisdom, is kind of intertwined not with intelligence, but rather with fearing God and choosing to walk away from evil. James says in verse 13 of our passage, Who is wise? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, James is asking, who thinks that they are wise? Are you, are you following? You're clicking? Okay. James is asking, who thinks they're wise? Who thinks they've got things worked out? Who thinks they understand the ways of the world, the ways of faith? We'd all like to think that we're wise and we've got understanding. I know I do. I don't want to live foolishly. I don't want to lack understanding. I want to live out of wisdom. Well, James says, the proof is seen in your life and the way you live your life. That's where the real proof lies. So what does wisdom look like? You know, when I stand at one of the thousands of crossroads of life, when, when I need to make a decision, when I need wisdom, what does it look like? What does wisdom look like? Well, it seems that because wisdom is so closely tied to our behaviour, it would be fair to say the attributes and the qualities of true wisdom are the same as those of the godly life. 
Do you get that? The attributes, the attributes and qualities of true wisdom are the same as those of the godly life. And that's easy to see. It's great because the scriptures give us so many lists of what the godly life or the wise life looks like. It's like the Bible paints a whole lot of pictures for us and we can say that's where wisdom is found because it's a reflection of those things. Have a look at these, these great passages. If you're taking notes, write these down and reflect on them at night. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, the fruit that he produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a great picture of wisdom, isn't it? Get to know those, those lists. Ephesians 4.2, Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. So if you're wondering in this situation, should I be proud? Should I be violent? Should I be aggressive? Paul says, no, be completely humble and gentle. That word completely humble there in the Greek actually is kind of referring to an animal, a big powerful animal that is well under control, well tamed. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So if you're looking for wisdom in a situation and it's going to break peace to bits, if it's going to call discord, you're just going to have to say, gee, is this really wise to go down this path? Ephesians 4.8 is another one. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's another great picture, isn't it, of what wisdom looks like. That is what godly wisdom looks like in the Bible, those, those, those passages. You know, when you stand at one of those big, important crossroads of life, when you need to make a decision, when you need wisdom, make your decision in line with your, what you're told about the godly life in the Scriptures, and I guarantee your decision will prove to be a wise decision. James then goes on to give us a, a picture of worldly wisdom. And this is where we need to think kind of mythically. This is where we need to think beyond our everyday experiences and try to see the bigger picture of what's really going on here. James says, verse 14, But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Do you hear what this is saying? When your behaviour exhibits bitter envy, selfish ambition and disorder, you are operating not from true wisdom, wisdom from God, but rather from a type of wisdom which comes from the world. This kind of wisdom is in contrast to true wisdom and it is godless at its very source. This kind of wisdom evaluates everything and everyone by the standards of this world and it actually makes one's personal gain the highest goal above everything else. This kind of wisdom is unspiritual and it is completely opposed to all things spiritual. 
It views life from a limited worldview rather than from heaven. It sees everything as being very flat, whereas the godly life kind of thickens things up and we realise there's more going on here than just what we can see. And I think a really good example of this is a debate that has been going on in our world for, for some decades now, and that is the abortion debate. You know, there's this idea that a woman can do whatever she likes with her body. I mean, after all, it's her body. And if she gets pregnant, and it's going to be, you know, kind of a pain in the neck having a baby at this stage of my life, just go and get an abortion. Now, that's okay if everything is very flat and there's no God and all of that doesn't really kind of matter too much because it's unspiritual. But if you actually believe what the scriptures say is that from the moment of conception, that is a person who has a soul, who is a spiritual being, and has been in the mind of God, as the scriptures say, before the creation of the world, it changes everything. Does anyone have any idea how many children in Australia are aborted every year? Any idea? I was shocked to discover that it's about 90,000. 90,000 children are aborted every year in Australia. That's about 250 a day. You know when, um, when in the US they had that terrible tragedy in you know, 9-11 where the planes flew into the building and about 3,000 Americans died that day. I thought it was a very kind of significant thing that at the time in America 3,000 abortions were happening every day in the US. So the same number of children are dying in the womb the same day, every day, and yet there was such an outcry about the injustice of what happened in 9-11, and right, rightfully so. Now remember, we need to keep thinking mythically. James says this type of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and he says it is of the devil. That's a big deal. That means so much of what seems wise and practical and the right thing to do is simply demonic. And remember that the Greek word that he uses here indicates a fullness that is completely demonic. So when you watch The Lord of the Rings or The Matrix or Harry Potter or the Twilight films, there seems to be a clear delineation, doesn't there, between good and evil. It's pretty evil to work out who are the good guys and who are the, the, the bad guys? I mean, you think about the images of the Shire. You can hear the theme, can't you? When that, when that, when that pop to the Shire. And everything's lovely and there's vegetables and all that. There's a kind of... There's a sharp contrast between that and the orcs. There, there really is, isn't there? You know, where there's that... What's, what's the place, Dean will know? You know, where... They're, where they're, no, not Mordor. You know where the, where the orcs are all kind of being dug out of the ground? and Isengard. Isengard. You know, the scenes down there just look evil, don't they, compared to the Shire. Well, you can, you can see that things are not the, the same. And if you were in, if life was like that, there would be times where you would be at a crossroad and you would say, that looks evil. 
run away, run away. You know, it's clearly the kind of thing you want to be out of there. But life isn't like that. The world we live in isn't like that. Things aren't so clear. The things which influence us aren't dressed like evil. Often, often they are more like glossy magazine covers and slick television ads with well-spoken people who appear so intelligent that they simply must be wise. You know, I, I recently got the whole Game of Thrones thing and started watching that. I know some of you are deeply passionate about it. But I've got to say, as I started to watch this series of, you know, would you call them TV shows? It's not really a movie, is it? It's a series. And I just thought, this, this is being applauded all around the world as just the most wonderful viewing and as I watched I thought this is porn and rape and murder and it's not good no, but don't watch it but it looks wonderful because the world tells you this is awesome things are not always as they seem and things aren't always as clear cut as we might like the wisdom from God is different though. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Then he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So let's just carefully pull this apart to see what it's saying. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. This wisdom is pure. Think of something that is pure. What, have you, what do you see? You don't see any blemish, do you? It's just pure. Wisdom, true wisdom from God is distinctly, uniquely free from any sinful attitude or motive. I think that's really interesting. It says it's pure. If you listen to some wisdom, if someone tells you do this or do that or they recommend something, if there is a check in your spirit that makes you go, oh, that looks a bit dodgy, that doesn't seem kind of right, think of the white sheet of paper with the dot on it. <laughs> Where does your eye go to the dot, isn't it? That's because your conscience is there going, oh, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. I would encourage you to listen to that. It's pure. Second thing is true wisdom is peace-loving. Not just free from conflict with others, but flowing from an inner peace that only comes from getting right with God. When we operate from godly wisdom, not only will we find peace in our own relationships, but we'll also find within ourselves a longing to become peacemakers. That is to help others live in peace as well. True wisdom doesn't lead us into disputes. It really doesn't but rather it leads towards reconciliation and unity. When, when you come to a crossroad in your life, remember this, the path which leads towards a breaking of unity, towards a breaking of peace, will often lead, is the kind of path you want to avoid. It'll lead to trouble. I would suggest to you from the scriptures, when you come to that kind of crossroad, go the other way. Go towards peace. Godly wisdom produces people who are considerate, 
Now, this, this word that we translated considerate is the word that is most often used to describe the disposition of God as king. Okay? God is gentle and kind, even though he has every reason to be stern and harsh because of our sinfulness and rebellion. And the scriptures say that God is considerate toward us. Whenever I think of that, I think of the fact that, that God says, I know you guys are made of dust. I love that. He says, yeah, ultimately you're made of dust. <laughs> you're not all that strong. You're going to fall. That's why he loves us so much. That's why he's considerate toward us. That's what godly wisdom looks like. It emphasises love over law. Godly wisdom asks, how is this going to affect the other person? Is this decision going to produce a, a win-win or is it just about me? Godly wisdom is considerate. Next, godly wisdom is submissive. That's something we don't kind of like, isn't it? I don't know about you, I don't really like being submissive. But it says, godly wisdom is submissive. People operating from godly wisdom readily come under authority. That is something that the world doesn't teach us, does it? It really doesn't. The movies tell us the heroes are the ones who go their own way, ignoring all others and making their own rules. But what the movies don't show is the path of destruction that is left in the wake of those so-called heroes. Do you hear the heartbeat of God in all of this? Do you hear the sound of godly wisdom? Humility, peace-loving, considerate, submissive. There's a kind of picture being painted there, isn't there? Next comes full of mercy. Godly people are full of mercy. Full of mercy is all about seeing the best, seeing the very best in others. You know, when I think about being full of mercy, I often think about justice. You know, when someone does wrong to us, when we're sinned against, in a way, kind of rightly, we go, but that's unjust. I want justice here. That's because we're made in the image of God. We... Justice matters. It really does. But when you're full of mercy, it's when you're able to say, no, I have every right. I have every right here to get justice and to get my own back. But I'm going to choose not to. And when we live in community, as we, we do, we meet for dinner every week. Things are going to be said. Things are going to be done. And we need to be full of mercy. That's what, that's what the, the scriptures say, full of mercy. It's about seeing the best, the very best in others. It's always so easy to see the worst in people. But give people the benefit of the doubt and always see the best in people. That's a challenge. Godly wisdom produces fruit that is consistent with all of the above. That is good fruit. Good fruit. You know, I always say to people, when you're trying to work out what to do here, which path to follow. If, you, if you're working out who to trust, if there's a few people, you think, well, which, which person am I going to listen to? Look at their life and look at the fruit of their life. If their life keeps producing conflict and discord and anti-everything we've looked at, I don't know whether I'd go that way. But if you look at their fruit of their life and there's good stuff being produced, Chances are there's godly wisdom there. Because remember, wisdom is a reflection of the godly life. Godly wisdom is impartial and sincere. It is both honest and just. 
and it is not hypocritical. And finally, verse 18, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I want to raise a harvest of righteousness from my life. I want to live my life from godly wisdom. And if I think mythically, as I said earlier, if I start to realise that things are not what they always seem, if I start to believe that everything, every decision I make, every word I speak, has more significance than I realise, it changes everything. You see, we need to realise that there are ultimately only two sources of wisdom and we so desperately need discernment to recognise which wisdom we're listening to. The Bible makes it pretty clear. Just look at the fruit. Whenever you see envy, selfish ambition, disorder, disunity, that is flowing from worldly wisdom. But when you see purity, peace, people being considerate and submissive to one another, just letting stuff go, being gracious, not arcing up, not wanting their own way, mercy, when you see that, when you see integrity, when you see character, good character, there you can be sure to find godly wisdom. Go that way. Go that way. Always go the way of godly wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful little passage from the letter from James. Lord, I thank you for the clarity that is there. And I pray for each person here. I know... Many of the people here are younger people and ahead of them is just a whole lot of choices in life, a whole lot of crossroads. Lord, I pray that at those crossroads, we would all, but especially those who are starting out on the journey of life, would remember this passage and that you would open their eyes to what is really going on and you would allow them to see true wisdom. Bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.